Uh, you may have noticed the popularity of the end of the world genre in recent books and movies and television shows. I, for one, am a fan of The Walking Dead, which envisions a scenario in which the human population has been infected by a virus that turns people into flesh-eating zombies. Now, bear with me, I'm going somewhere with this. But our obsession with end-of-the-world scenarios reveals our human curiosity about what things will be like in the end. It gets us asking questions like, when will it be? What will it be like? Will I be safe? Will I become a zombie? Will I become a zombie hunter? Because that would be pretty cool. (laughs) But it gets us asking questions and envisioning what it might be like in the end times or when the world comes to an end. I want to uh, ask the question, what is the Bible specifically? What does Jesus say about the end of the world? Uh, The parable that we heard from today of the ten bridesmaids is a parable about last things, what we call um, in theology eschatology. It's the the last things when we uh, think about Jesus' return to judge the living and the dead and to establish his kingdom rule on the earth once and for all. So Jesus tells this parable. Uh, there was these ten bridesmaids, and they are waiting for the groom to arrive uh, at the wedding banquet so the feast can begin. And it's nighttime, so they need lamps. And five of them, who, the foolish, run out of oil because they didn't bring a backup. And they say to the wise, can we have some of your oil? And they say, no, because then all of us would run out of oil. So they have to run out to the local 24-hour Walmart to get oil for their lamps. And when they get back, it's too late because the groom has arrived, the party has begun, and the door has been shut, and they are left knocking at the door, let us in, let us in, and the groom says to them, truly I tell you, I do not know you. And the door is shut once and for all, and they are left out because of their foolish unpreparedness. It is a stark picture of the end. Now, the parable raises some very challenging questions for us, doesn't it? Um, We might want to ask, why didn't the uh, wise ones just share with the foolish ones? Or why didn't the groom just forgive the foolishness of the bridesmaids who didn't bring oil and let them into the banquet? And so on and so forth. It raises a lot of questions. But the thing is, is Jesus actually isn't interested in asking those questions. He's not interested in raising those questions. Jesus is actually interested in this parable of raising the question of preparedness, of what it looks like for a true disciple to be prepared for when his master returns to the earth. Now, for Jesus, preparedness isn't the kind of stock-up-your-bomb-shelter sort of preparedness and await the zombie apocalypse. That's not preparedness for Jesus. Jesus, Preparedness for Jesus is not paranoia about the end of the world, but living with wisdom in the present. Jesus doesn't want us, he's not concerned with us obsessing over details about what his return is going to be like. If he was, he would have told us more about it. He's not interested in us obsessing over the details of his return. He is interested in us obsessing over what it means to be a disciple in the present age. 
Now, there's all kind of places that we could go with this question. What does it mean to be prepared? What does it mean to be a disciple faithfully to Jesus in the present age? But since we are in the season of stewardship, particularly how we relate to our material possessions and how we uh, think about giving, uh, I want to talk today about stewardship as an element of preparedness, as an element uh, of the life of a disciple, of a faithful disciple of Jesus. The New Testament, especially all of the Bible, really makes clear that God cares about how his people relate to their possessions. Because if you have a healthy relationship to your possessions, you can have a healthy relationship to God. If you don't have a healthy relationship to your possessions, if they rule you, you cannot have a healthy relationship to God. It is abundantly clear in Scripture. Now, there's this story in the Gospel of Luke where uh, this guy comes up to Jesus and he says, Hey, tell my brother to split the family inheritance with me. And Jesus says, look, man, he literally says that, look, man, I'm not your judge. And then he actually warns the guy. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. And then he goes on and he tells this guy a parable, a very brief parable, about a rich guy who had so much stuff that he had to tear down his storage units and build bigger ones to store his stuff. And he thought life was going grand for him, and suddenly he dies. And God says to him, fool, fool, all those things you had stored up, whose will they be now? You see, it's possible to get uh, distracted by the comforts of this life, to feel like everything is going quite well externally, when inside there's an emptiness in our relationship with God. And God hates to see his people distracted by material things in such a way that they can't enjoy him or learn what it really means to trust and depend on him for their provision. This is why Jesus shows so much concern for people in the Gospels who have great wealth because it is so much easier to become more distracted the more you have. Remember the rich young ruler when Jesus is talking to him, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, I keep all the rules, I do all the commandments. And Jesus says, you lack one thing. Go give away all of your possessions and then come follow me. And Mark tells us um, in this little passage, a little detail, and he says, Jesus looked at him and loved him when he gave him this challenge, right? See, here's what this tells us. God never calls us to a way of life or to actions that don't contribute to our flourishing as human beings. God doesn't call us to a way of life that won't contribute to our flourishing as human beings. So let me ask this question. How do we become, as Jesus says, rich toward God? How do we become rich toward God? How do we become good stewards who are prepared for the return of Jesus and the establishing of his kingdom on earth? Really briefly, I want to go uh, through three suggestions. They're fairly practical. And the first one is this. Uh, Give in such a way that it challenges your comfort. Give in such a way that it challenges your comfort. You see, if we try to calculate how much we give, whether that's our tithe or our pledge or to uh, a charitable organization or to a neighbor in need, if we calculate how much we give in such a way as to ensure that our comfort levels are not disturbed in the least bit, then our stewardship is too shallow. Let me read you some words from C.S. Lewis. He says this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, 
If our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures exclude them. Whew! Feel the heat? I do. (laughs) These are hard words. Trust me, I know. But here's the thing. Here's what he's getting at. You see, Jesus calls us, his disciples, to bear a cross in all avenues and walks of life. Not just in our relationships with other people and our relationship to God, but also we are called to bear a cross in the economic sphere of our lives. Because the one who bore the cross of Calvary gave everything so that we could have everything. And so it is to be with us and how we relate to our possessions. The second uh, point is this. Take risks. Take risks. Giving is risky, especially when it stretches us. Only, really, when it stretches us is it risky. Because it puts us in a place of vulnerability. It puts us in a place of vulnerability where we become more acutely aware of our dependence on God. If you want to grow in your faith, take risks and make some of those risks financial ones. This is hard. This is hard for us because as one preacher said, we have a pocketbook protection instinct greater than life preservation. It's true. It's true for all of us. I was reading something the other day that really, really struck me. The author pointed out that when Jesus called people to follow him, uh, the first step was simple obedience. Uh, They just dropped their nets, right, their source of income, and they followed him. They didn't have faith yet in him in the way that we understand a fully developed faith, but they took the risk of following him. And here's what happens. The obedience with which they responded to him put them in a position that made faith possible. It made faith actually necessary because they had to trust in him radically to provide for their needs since they had left all behind. You see, obedience strengthens our faith. Obedience strengthens our faith. Take risks and know that God is on the side of risk takers. God is on the side of risk takers. Here's the last one. This is uh, where we get very, very practical. Make a sacrifice. Not not an animal sacrifice. We're not going to get Old Testament in here right now. But make a specific sacrifice. Consider choosing something tangible and specific, something that maybe you spend money on monthly, that's not a necessity, but that if it was gone, you would notice not having it. Maybe that's your cable bill. Maybe it's your potato chip bill. Maybe it's your monthly therapeutic massage. I don't know. It could be anything. But consider taking that thing, whatever it is, and the Holy Spirit will bring things to mind. He probably is right now. Listen to him. But give that thing up for a while and put that money towards something else, whether that's your tithe or your pledge or sponsoring a child through Compassion International or helping out a neighbor who's in need. Put that money somewhere else so that you feel the weight of that cross that you are bearing. Remember what C.S. Lewis said, there should be things we like to do and cannot do because of our charitable expenditures. Now, 
there's a, a danger here that, we, that I briefly have to comment on. There's a danger of making uh, what I call or getting into what I call a checklist mentality. And that is thinking about stewardship as checkboxes that we go through. And if we've done this, this, and this, we stay in God's good graces and we stay in the safe, go- safe zone. No, friends, we are in God's good graces. And so we become stewards because that is what he has called us to do. And you see, here's the thing about all this. Giving is a joy It's a joy because it's an opportunity to become more like Jesus. Jesus was a risky giver. He gave everything, even his own life, so that everyone else could have what they needed, salvation. He's our model. When St. Paul was writing to a church in the uh, earliest days of the church, he was writing to the church in Corinth, and he was trying to convince them that another church was really in need of their financial contributions because this other church was struggling. Now, he could have gone to them and said, by the authority invested in me as your bishop, you are going to send a uh, 10% of all of your income to this church. But he doesn't say that. Nor does he say, God says that you need to tithe, so you're going to tithe towards this church. He doesn't say that. Here's, Here's what he does. Here's what he writes as he encourages them to give. He says, For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. You see how this all connects to the cross? The cross is the symbol par excellence of giving, of self-giving. And it speaks into every area of our life. It speaks powerfully into the area of stewardship where we are called to bear our own cross as we seek to be more and more conformed to the image of Jesus because that is our final goal. When we see him, we will be like him, John tells us. Friends, in preparation for the end, Don't stock your bomb shelters. Don't store up your storage units. Give your stuff away and become rich towards your heavenly Father who delights to give you his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we stand before you um, in your good graces because of what you gave for us so that that could happen. Um, We are so far from being like your son and we are all... Uh, failing tremendously, but also having successes by your grace as we seek to follow him. So we ask that you would meet us where we are, challenge us to take another step forward as we think about what it means to be disciples and stewards of what you have given us in this season. Speak to each of us, Lord, uh, because this is not a checklist, uh, one size fits all. Speak to each of us about what you are calling us into as we think through the next year and how we steward the gifts that you have given to us, Lord. And let our model always be him who died for us so that we could have all. It is in his name, Jesus, that we pray.